This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. Ready to start talking to your kids about financial literacy? Meet Greenlight, the debit card and money app that teaches kids and teens how to earn, save, spend wisely, and invest with your guardrails in place. Parents can send instant money transfers, automate allowance, and more. Plus, keep an eye on spending with real-time notifications. Join more than 6 million parents and kids building healthy financial habits together on Greenlight. Get your first month free at greenlight.com slash ACAST. That's greenlight.com slash ACAST. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. This is the besotted pride of West London podcast, and I'm I'm Billy Grant, and I'm sitting here still smiling after the weekend in the George the Fourth pub in Chiswick, where we're holding a very what special podcast here because I'm sitting here with my chums, my mates. We're sitting there chewing away at a bit of food we've eaten, and we've got a few drinks here as well, and we're waiting for our, our special guest to come along as well. I'm Billy Grant here, like I said to you, I've got here Savvy B, I've got Matt the Allard, Allard, and we've got a chair waiting for our special guest, um, who well, called a minute ago and just said he's going to be a little bit late because he's going to be arriving a little bit late, but don't worry about it because we can carry on and do our own thing and then hopefully he can join us when the time comes. But like I said to you, I'm Billy Grant, still smiling here after the weekend bit of fantastic weekend if you check out prideofwest.london and uh, a radio show that we did on Love Sport on Monday we talked all about Rotherham we listened to the fans what they had to say we talked about the game we talked about all sorts of stuff myself and Dave Anderson the Anderson just the two of us as I say you can do it if you can and we did it on the radio show but like I said to you still smiling and we've got a big game at the weekend the FA Cup weekend we're going to be looking forward to that um, a little bit later on in this podcast actually we'll be, be chatting to the Barnet Fake Bees Posse. They're going to be giving us their five from the hive. But before we go to that, I'm going to sit down and I'm going to introduce my guests tonight, or my mates tonight, see how they're getting on, because they're smiling as much as I am. Savvy B, how are you? I'm um, uh, very well, thank you, Billy. Uh, I've had a very, very good week. Um, we launched a film about Dockers at the Museum of London last week. Uh, today we launched a film about the birth of the NHS at a school in Chelsea. Uh, on Saturday, we're launching a film about uh, Punjabi wrestling in Slough. And uh, Monday, we're going to the Hive to watch the bees do their thing. The fake bees, that is, you know what I'm saying? In the fake Hive. You know what I'm saying? Which, 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 like I said to you, you know, we're we going to talk about the FA Cup. We're going to be looking back at some previous FA Cup games, in particular the fourth round, and especially when Brentford have won their fourth round matches we've been having a look at that in our pre-production meeting here today as well and I've got a man who's been doing the international tip 
the Allard. He's literally stepped right off a plane. Very excited at meeting our special guest tonight as well, aren't you, the Allard? Well, that's right, Bill. You convinced me that um, I should come tonight. So I've literally got off a plane about three or four hours ago. Um, got an eight hours time difference to deal with, um, but I think we're we're early afternoon where I was, so it'll, that'll be fine. And um, yeah, here I am. Um, you know, I'm just there's an empty chair, and um, what's it all about, Bill? And you know, listen, I know I'm not letting you guys in on the secret. I'm not letting anybody else on the secret as well, because it is one of those ones which we had to sort of keep it keep it down low. But hopefully, we'll be revealing any minute now what's been going on. But you've been you've been doing a little bit of snowy activity, have you not? Um, yeah, I've been trying not to break my neck, um, and that's gone reasonably well. Um, I've also been I also went to see some ice. Where were you? So I was over um, on the west coast of Canada, uh, Kelowna area, um, uh, British Columbia, BC, I think it is. Um, a big, a big wine region. Lots of, lots of good wine out there, actually. And um, but obviously at the moment quite cold. Um, we went to a few hills to do a bit of, a bit of winter activities, and um, and we went to watch um, the Kelowna Rockets ice hockey team in the Western Hockey League in Canada. Um, had some great seats right behind the sin bin. Literally, the row behind the sin bin could bang on the glass, give them wanker signs if I if I so um, choose at the guys in the sin bin. Um, chose not to do either, but it did make me think that this really wouldn't work in um, football particularly well. I'm interested as well. I mean, in in hockey, I mean, you're right in the thick of it. I mean, it's a massive, massive sport in Canada. Is hockey? Do they moan as much as they do in football and, and whinge and all that stuff, or is it completely different? It, it was just like being New Road, Bill. There were, <laughs> literally, it was. There were people moaning, getting forwards. Uh, there were people saying, shoot, shoot, come on, shoot. And, I, and, and it was just like it. it, was, it was, you, you can draw a few parallels, I think, between hockey and football um, if you sort of take a step back from it and just watch it. Um, tactically, it's quite interesting watching the, the, the shapes of the team when they defend, and um, and and when do you shoot? I mean, it, it's um, you know it's, uh, it's a very very quick game. Um, it it's, has its violent elements, um, but it's um, yeah. I, I really I've, I've I've seen hockey before, but I've been up way up in the gods. But to be literally down at ice level, I think they call it. Um, it was um, yeah. It was it was really enjoyable I could see myself getting into it actually and did they have like firms and crews and sort of ultras and all that kind of stuff and singing this this wasn't quite the case um, I do think there was a, there was a chant of a, there, there was a chant a couple of times that went up but the ultra thing they they've not really got into that no <laughs> uh, were the fans having a go at Sawyer's as well oh, yeah they were they, they obviously had their equivalent to Sawyer's um, you know yeah it, it, it is just like it it it's bizarrely similar to watching to watching football. Just to hear that, just to, the, the people to my left were just. And, and the other thing was was that it went to um, X. It went to whatever they call extra time. Extra. They did a five minute extra time thing where they took some players off the off the rink and they played three on three instead of five on five. Um, but they still didn't score goals. So then it went to sort of penalties, but it's not quite penalties, but a similar thing. And two blokes next to me, obviously, and this is, this is like my dad. My dad refuses to watch penalties in football games. It's not the way to settle a football game. The two guys sitting next to me got up and walked out when it went to the final penalty shoot-off, whatever you call it. 
Brilliant, brilliant. So listen, the LRs had fun in the snow, but and we've had fun in the snow because while you've been away, we had some snow as well. We had about half an hour of snow in the, in the, in the UK, and, and that was it for the year, hopefully. But, you know, we, we enjoyed it, so we, we thought we were with you, sort of like mutual friends. Yeah, it was, it was, it was 178 centimetres last time I looked where I was. Yeah. Which is all good. But listen, we've got lots and lots of lots of things to look for. And our special guest who's, uh, who, who should be here soon. Um, but listen, before we can talk about that, like I said to you, Saturday, Rotherham. We talked about it a lot of the radio show. But we're going to talk about it again because it was so, so wonderful. Listen to the fans, hear what they had to say because I love those Rotherham fans. They were so brilliant. Then after that, we're going to come back and just have a little summarization or summary. A summarization. <laughs> I don't even know what I'm going to do. But we're going to summarise our thoughts on that Rotherham match. Thomas Frank has come right over to the Brentford fans. I mean, like, literally, he's doing the old hand on the harp and he's doing the kind of waving and everything like that. He's loving it. He's loving this applause. He's giving it giving it proper, proper large. You know what I'm saying? He's got the fist in the air now. But um, um, Barbe's got the fist in the air. You know, Jean Vier's got the fist in the air. Jean Vier. Jean Vier. I'm telling you, the Brentford players are absolutely loving this, and I am loving it too. Uh, wonderful result, uh, wonderful performance as well. Four quality goals, and at times in that second half, we passed them off the pitch. Uh, has to be said, though, uh, they got a lot of crosses in, dangerous in the air. Bentley made a brilliant save in the first half, but we're by far the better team and a thoroughly deserved first away victory. The expectation, no, but <laughs> hope. Hope was higher coming today than previous away games. They had to be confident after the way they performed last week. Rotherham on a bad run, so if you're going to win that away, then it's going to be a day, isn't it? But we're saying Rotherham, they've only lost two games away from home, and they, they were looking a bit tricky, don't you oh, think? Yeah, to be honest, they definitely were not the worst team I've seen us play this year. Other teams have been far worse, and we've gifted them goals and lost. This lot give us a game, but our confidence is growing, and we stood up to their comeback, and when we went the 4-2, you knew that was it then. Absolutely loved it, absolutely. The general was amazing as well, absolutely start. For the first 20 minutes, thought we bossed it, and then unfortunately we let them back in, but second half, yeah, last 20 minutes, we was on fire. And, and Thomas at the end as well, he was potty for it, wasn't he? Yeah, at the yeah, end. yeah, he was amazing. That's it now, he's turned to the fans, I reckon. There were about four, six foot three or six foot four players on the other side, so it was always good. That was a tactic to get a, a corner or a freak or a throw in. But what made it for Brentford today was that they this incisive up front. It's really, you know, excellent stuff. And the team's got spirit, which I didn't have. They didn't have six weeks ago. At home, when they're at home, they're playing very, very well at home. They can't get a win away from home. Yeah, yeah we can't win. We've played all them at, that's below us, and we've lost. I mean, when we scored, when we equalised to make it to all, Brentford ran straight through middle, straight from kickoff, three two. Then same again for fourth goal. They've got, they were like, there were nobody at back. They were just switched off. We've seen West Brom beat Rotherham four 0 down here, yeah. and I've seen Brentford play down here today, and I think Brentford what better at two sides that we've. That's interesting. So Brentford are better than West Brom. Well, listen, fingers yeah, crossed. Fingers crossed. I think they were. Out of both, out of two sides I've seen down here, West Brom and Brentford. And I think Brentford, what better football inside. Did you play badly or did Brentford, you know, were Brentford quite good? Brentford were quite good. They had, they had good team. 
You had a good thing. Yeah, you, you scored two goals today, so when you scored them goals, didn't you think that you'd be able to squeeze another one? No. Why not? Because you had a good set of lads. I'm being honest. You know, honesty is the best policy, you know what I'm saying? Well, from first first 10 15 minutes they weren't bad to be fair but then they actually faded after that and we could have took advantage of that but playing the different a different kind of tactics of what would have played in a normal day like sort of Sheffield United game and people like that we've played at home we're just a, a different team altogether and showed different qualities and it Today we're just rubbish. I'm happy that we showed a lot of character today. We came back after two equalisers um, from Rotherham. I'm happy that we had four well-worked goals that we deserved. And I'm happy that the team were really pleased at the end and that Frank was really pleased at the end. It was a great team performance. So, you know, great stuff to the lads. Great stuff. They knew what they needed to do in terms of getting the ball over the back and they knew how to expose us. But what they didn't do is work out our strengths. And I think they left a lot of space in the middle for Sawyers and Makocho to ruthlessly exploit. And I think that was probably their downfall today and then when the third goal went in you know the analogy is boxing when someone loses their heart and it was very clear they lost their heart after that third goal went in and we were able to kind of really take the game to, the, to them at that point so yeah we just we bossed it we looked a quality team um, I know Rotherham weren't the best we've uh, we've come up against and we've come up against better teams than that but you know at least we got what we deserved and we, and we did do what we said we had to do we had to take the positives from the Stoke game last week come up here and do a job and we've done exactly that so I'm really really happy um, I'm going to have a gonna have a little medicinal whiskey on the way back and I'm looking forward to Barnet away Monday week um, and looking back to get into to league action where we're, we're looking um, we're five or six points behind a top ten position at the moment so happy days well I will hand you over to our um, chief songwriter El Scorchio El Scorchio what's, what's the score Neil Malbecki from France Absolutely just brilliant. I just love listening to that. The Rotherham fans was just just brilliant. Absolutely fantastic and uh I must admit really did enjoy it that day out. And I mean just with the guys around the table here that Rotherham game was quite key. I mean, if you listened last week, we talked about the fact that we'd smashed Stoke off the park, but we needed to beat Rotherham. And you could feel the pressure in there, and I must admit, I was a bit nervous when we went one all and two all, very nervous. When we got that third goal, it was just like, you know, absolute elation. It was just like, yes, we're not letting anyone dominate us. So I'm just going to go around the table here and just saying, I'm going to ask you guys, what is the one point that you took from that game, Savvy B? Uh, for me, it was the defensive performance. I mean, they, I think uh, Rotherham were, seemed much more dangerous or at least worked out what to do against us better than Stoke did. And um, I think what, what it was was the, the, the balls in a box, dead balls, throw-ins, all sorts of stuff, just coming in, coming in, coming in. And there was 37 crosses or something like that we had to deal with. And I think I was trying to work out why we're kind of better at that now with three at the back. Because in dead balls, in, in theory, it's just about bodies in a box. But what, what the three at the back allows us is extra uh, tall players. So you've got the three natural centre-halves, but you've also got Dowsgaard as well. 
so we got automatically you've got you know your your four big players there you've also got um uh, Sawyer's who's quite tall as well so so we, we can actually counter those kind of long balls a bit better uh, we still let two goals in and we were still very lucky that the the save the really good save that uh, Bendy made dropped to their centre half rather than to their centre forwards and he just sort of shanks it wide so so we were a bit lucky we were a bit a bit flappy uh, but I think uh, just having those extra tall players and the amount of stuff we had to deal with which we won't have to deal with that kind of amount of stuff from for most teams, I think shows that we're moving in the right direction. So the three at the back is working in more than just just one way in terms of giving us those those extra wing backs and making us more solid and allowing us to cover the the full backs. But it's actually allowing us more sort of tall players to counteract the the big swinging crosses and the. The, the long throw-ins. I mean, the first thing I'm going to say to you, I mean, 37 crosses into, into there is, is actually quite a lot. You know, it's quite a lot to deal with. And is there an argument to say, and I'm just throwing it in there, that, you know, you, you might actually kind of, you're going to end up conceding if you, you manage to put that many balls kind of coming at you. Um, the flip side of it is, is that how do you stop them coming at you? Uh, I think, well, I think uh, that's Rotherham's only game plan. So whether there's a way you, you can counter out their game plan, but it also means that they're, uh, that probably probably leaves them wide open a bit at the back as well, or in the middle, which we can bust the midfield completely. Stories the Mokocho just really bossed it. So, so maybe you, there's not a lot you can do about long throw-ins and about, you know, just just swinging crosses in from quite far out. They're not necessarily getting to the byline and doing it. They're, they're doing it first opportunity they get. As soon as they cross that halfway line, they're just pumping forward and knocking them in. And, and, uh, and their throw-ons, I mean, they, they, they're probably, they had a proper Rory Delap character literally lobbing the ball in the area every time. They, they did, they did that. And I think uh, there's only certain types of teams which will play like that. And they're probably the kind of teams that we will beat 4-2. So, you know, I, I don't see why we would change the three at the back. We'll come to Monday, I'm sure, later in the podcast. So the, so the Allard as well, you're, I mean, we've talked about, I mean, I don't know, we talked about Savvy's point of view. Are you going to comment on Savvy's view or are you going to give your own view? Well, I'm just going to say, we'll, we'll talk about um, Barnet, the Barnet game later in the podcast, but we may see some of that. I've seen some of the teams um, that, I know John Steele's left Barnet now, but his assistant manager's now in charge. I've watched those teams play, so... We'll see some of that, I'm sure. Um, from my perspective, uh, switching sorry back to the Rotherham game, um, I thought I, I think the interesting thing was all four goals were from open play. All four of the Brentford goals, um, three of them, and and arguably the and arguably certainly goals one, two, and four, and arguably goal three. They were all pullback goals to players in coming into space around the penalty spot, a bit deeper the penalty spot. And for me, you know, this is an area that that you can ruthlessly exploit. If, if you can pass a ball to, to an unmarked player around the penalty spot who can steady themselves and shoot, then you know, you're, you, you're likely to be quids in. A lot of people watch football and it's all about getting the ball to the, to the near post, getting the ball across the line and trying to get that foot in. And yeah, you can, you, you, you can play that way, but I've, I've said it on podcasts before, I, I think the ball to the penalty spot, free player, it's... The, it's the way to score goals. Arsenal did it for many, many, many years, and um, and I was delighted to see us do it on um, Saturday. Also, you, I mean, are you saying this is different? Are you saying we're switching it up a little bit? Are you saying that Thomas Frank is just adding different elements to our game? I mean, I'm not, I, I, I'm not privy to the conversations, but for me, 
Um, we didn't play that ball during our period where we were struggling. Um, I definitely made that comment um, either maybe on Twitter, maybe on a podcast. Sav will certainly vouch for it. Um, that the, the, they're the balls to play. Find, find players with space. This, this, this sort of idea that you always have to hit you know, the ball across. It's, I mean, you do it for sure at times, but there are other options. There are other ways to score goals. And, um, and I was really delighted to see how well it worked on, on Saturday. Um, I, I think it's a really basic sort of way to play football. Um, if, I, if I coached a kid's team, I'd be saying, pull it back to the penalty spot, and then I'd be telling one of my, my players to be at the penalty spot. I, I, I think it's a pretty simple way of doing it. I'm, I watched Arsenal do it for years. I'm going to ask a question because obviously you you mentioned Savvy something about um, defensive you've mentioned something about attacking as well and uh, you also mentioned Thomas Frank and I've just got to ask a question because we, we, we need to talk about the, the evolution of Thomas Frank um, in the 12, 14 whatever it is games 14 games that he's been looking after looking after Brentford um, when we had the Anderson on uh, Dave Anderson a couple of weeks ago he was saying about the fact that Thomas Frank is trying to find a way to not change Brentford but to try and fix a few of the issues that we've had you know what I'm saying like you know he's like we've played a particular great style of football there's also certain issues that he's had and he, he believed um, personally that that it's taken us a while to actually drum this in to the players is this something that you're feeling as well? Um, I, I'm still sort of struggling I, I'm still trying to sort of get to grips with. Ex- I know the system has changed and I know by changing the system without having a holding midfielder maybe there are options to get you know, a midfielder a bit but, but, but we always had the options to be doing what I'm seeing from the team now even with the old system so I'm, not, I, I'm still sort of trying to get my head around exactly what has changed. I think two things have changed. I think the system has changed, but I do also think we've seen the players have more belief in what they're doing at the moment than I, than I thought they had previously. Um, and, and I assume certainly the system change comes from Thomas Frank, and you would imagine that the confidence also comes from that as well. Um, it'd be lovely to ask Thomas Frank these sort of questions, um, and um, you know, I, I think I think, and we'll, we'll get we'd get a bit more to the bottom of it. But I, I'm seeing both of those things: system change, and I'm seeing a confidence, a new confidence. I'm also seeing the availability of certain players. Uh, Makodjo uh, is now back, fully fit, and making a massive difference. I think having the the wing back uh, options, because at one point we were playing Moses on the left because Rico wasn't ready, and so Dalsgaard was having a bit of a nightmare and stuff like that. So by by being able to put players. Uh, in, in, their, in their best positions and uh, actually having uh, players who can play wing-back really, really well, I think has allowed Thomas Frank to put his, his stamp on, on the team there's in the right place. Yeah, there's a massive point that for me we've actually, we, we've got a system that suits so many players. It suits Rika Henry, it suits Dalgaard, oh, it suits Adebarjo, um, it suits Barbe, left-footed of three centre-backs pinging them balls you know you saw that again on Saturday if, um, it, it, so, so for me and, 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 and arguably it suits Makocho is Makocho really your holding midfielder that sits deep like Ryan Woods did I don't think he is um, I think he needs to be further up the pitch so you know I, I think it really suits some of these players yeah but I mean with three at the back we don't need a holding midfielder yeah yeah for yeah, sure yeah, yeah. So, and, and for my point as well and um, you know you guys have come up with something on the pitch and something tactical but I'm going to come up with something slightly more emotional and uh, again if you was at the, the game on Saturday I know a lot of uh, 606 Beast fans were at the game 
the the final scenes were fantastic. We'd won the match. We'd won the match, and you could see the bees had put in an enormous fight, especially to fight back from one all and two all, and then they scored those two sort of goals later on in the game. And when, in particular, the players came over to the fans who were singing away, and Thomas Frank came over to the fans, and he literally came all the way over to the fence, and he was pumping his chest, and he's putting his hand up, and pissed, putting their fist in the air and everything like that. It was a really, really fantastic moment. And the fact is, like, listen... I'm a Brentford fan, we're all Brentford fans, we all want Brentford to do well. And the fact is, the only way that we're going to do well is everyone is in it together. You know, you've got to have everyone off the pitch, on the pitch, in it together. And we've had all sorts of, you know, stuff that's going on, you know, for various reasons. People have had their reasons. Listen, if we're not playing particularly well, people have got the right to vent and say, this isn't right, we're not believing it's right. But to me, you know, I don't know what's going to happen in a month or two or three months' time, but the fact is that we've had a series of really good games, we've played really some really good football quite recently we've got a guy who's in charge who obviously actually feels and he's really actually loves the club that he's at and that was a lovely moment when the fans did cheer for him they're calling out his name you know Thomas Franks you know Red and White Army you know he did the fist pumping and you can see almost like sort of tears in his eyes and all sorts of stuff and uh, I'm thinking that is a good moment for Brentford especially as we're going into a cup match on on Monday it doesn't matter who we're playing it's important that you feel that everyone's together and that moment I just thought finally for probably the first time this season or since early this season but probably the first time this season because it's different because with Dean Smith he might have had a lot of things that were going on so we were going through the, the, the works but now it was kind of like I felt a little bit of a moment there and I'm hoping that that will be able to carry us because it's great having good players it's great having good coaching staff but if you're, if you're all together and moving in the right direction that adds another level I'm saying but anyway listen Rotherham that's enough about Rotherham we've got other things to talk about so we're going to talk about stuff in and around Griffin Park in and around the Hive all sorts of news and bits and pieces in around the Hive so around the Hive all sorts of news been popping all over the place in and around Griffin Park and around Brentford in and around the Championship and, and first, actually, tell you something. I just need to give you a little bit of an update on our special guest because yeah. he's just uh, right, he's just yeah. called and 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 he says he's going to be still a little bit late. Um, he stopped off to see a mate as as, as he's done. Bill, Bill, Bill. You, I can see you've not even prepared for a special guest. You've got a camera case on the seat and you've got a set of headphones there. Um, this is this isn't happening, is it? Okay, right. I'm going to have to put my end up and listen, guys. I'm sorry if you felt I've led you up the garden path, but this is the honest truth. We had proper, proper special guests lined up for today. I got a phone call literally about 15 minutes before the podcast today to say it's pretty unlikely that the special guest is going to turn up. However, he's going to come either next week or the week afterwards so we're talking about once in the next couple of weeks I'm trying to get it sorted for next week I know you guys were really I mean you've come off the plane you were very much looking forward to special guests and I didn't want to let you down and I thought maybe if I spun it out a little bit we had a couple of beers and you probably might not notice that he's he's not there and I thought that'd be fair enough uh, yeah it's not really worked um, I kind of you know I, I, I think it's fair to say that I I kind of got the feeling that we weren't going to get a special guest as we um, as we ploughed on with a podcast tonight and no special guest here. For a minute, I wondered if it was Laney because he seems to be absent without leave at the moment. I mean, it's something if Laney ever turns up for a podcast, he'll actually be the special guest, actually, won't he? Like, I was saying, apparently he's in Miami now or something ridiculous. Like. Uh, apparently he is in Miami, yeah. Yeah. 
Yep. So, uh, but the special guest, I, I've been sitting here. It's been like waiting for Godot. Me and me and Matt have just been like just been sitting there waiting and waiting and waiting, and just hoping that these the special guests would turn up. So um, listen. I am actually quite keen to find out who it was meant to be. Listen, I will reveal all, and to be quite honest with you, it's probably a good thing that I didn't reveal beforehand, but listen, I apologise to everybody out there. Properly lined up, as you know, we like to do things proper at Besotted. Special guests, and they will be very special, will be on either next week's podcast or the week after podcast. Uh, if not, it's completely out of our hands, but I'm pretty sure that he's going to be on next week. Next week. We're just sorting out the finer details. There was a, a few little kind of clashes in the diary that took place, uh, and it was completely out of our hands. But anyway, we've got to move on around the hive. We're going to talk about one of our players who is actually playing for someone else, Jack Bonham. Um, there's been a lot of talks about goalkeepers, lots of talks about Bentley. You know, is he kind of fluffing at the moment now? And does he need a little bit of a rest? Whereas Jack Bond has been getting absolute plaudits playing in. Okay, he's been playing in Division One, but he's been playing very well in Division One. And the team that he's been playing for, apparently, I've been talking to Bristol Rovers fans. They said since he's come in, you know, they've actually taken him up to another level. Bristol Rovers are now 90 minutes away from Wembley. Okay, it might be the Johnson's Paint Trophy Freight Rover Final Trophy Checker Trade thing. However, it's still 90 minutes from Wembley from, you know, them going to... I mean, I was at Wembley the last time Bristol Rovers were there when they played um, Shrewsbury as well. So, you know, and they brought a lot of fans down there. So, you know, there could be, what, 50, 60,000 fans at Wembley if he wins his next game. So Bristol Rovers are going to be playing either Bury, Sunderland or Portsmouth. The draws on Saturday... But to be fair, Jock Van Bonner must be very, very excited because he's gone from beating at Brentford, not knowing exactly what's going on, going out on loan, playing very well at Carlisle, getting a move to Bristol Rovers, and now 90 minutes from Wembley and being an absolute hero in the West Country. And at the moment, people are saying, you know, lining up to buy him, you know, if Brentford are going to sell him. I mean, I don't know if they're going to sell him or not. I can presume that they probably will because his contract's up at the end of the season, unless we decide to give him another contract, which will be quite hefty. But, um very good on Jack Bonham yeah I mean I, I remember when he was the um, the drummer in Led Zeppelin uh, but, <laughs> but uh, yeah no I mean I've, I've heard like you I've heard from Bristol Rovers fans being really really impressed and uh, but I'm not sure I mean Matt knows a lot more about League One uh, I mean are, are you getting the same kind of uh, uh, sort of forwards um, you know the, the same kind of skills and play that forwards in the championship do I mean, you know, because whenever I've seen him, he's always made our back four feel quite nervous. And well, that, was, that was before he played about 100 games for a couple of teams, though, wasn't it? Yeah, I mean, he, he played a few for Watford. He played, you know, he had, he had played a few games, but I mean, okay, not many for us, agreed. Uh, but I mean, he you know, played brilliant up at Barnsley. The game that he, all about 100 scouts are down there, or well, not 100, a few scouts are down there watching him for him to try and get his loan move to Carlisle, actually, as well at the back end of was it last season, the season, season before that, wasn't it? I'm, I'm not saying he hasn't played some really good games because he has, but <laughs> not for us. And uh, I mean, I, I mean, I just don't know. I, I really don't know uh, if he if he can be a Championship player because I've not seen him play very well in the Championship. The interesting thing is, is you talk about in command in his area. My guess would be that in League One, from the from what I've seen of League One, is that you do need to command your area because there's a lot of long balls and a, um, and I know that's a really lazy description um, and it's not as simple as that. But you are going to be dealing with more of a bombardment um, and therefore you know an aerial bombardment statistically, um, albeit that not all teams play that way. 
um, and therefore you would need to be able to, to sort of you know to, to manage your, your your area. So I, you know, it'd be interesting. To, I do wonder with Bonham if his time is done with us, but you know, is he? Do we give him another look? Um, you know, he, he, he's getting good plaudits at the moment. Um, and sorry, where's distribution? Yeah, that's a good point, actually, Sav. And um, and who knows how he needs to distribute it for Bristol Rovers? Because I've not seen Rovers play. I'm just talking more more, more generally. Um, so you've cut me in my tracks there, and it is a good point um, because distribution is all important, as as we know. Um, you know, maybe not quite so much with three at the back, but 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 yeah, in general, it is more important. Yeah. And don't forget, I mean, he is playing, and again, I've not seen him play for Bristol Rovers, and I didn't see him play for Carlisle. I'm only going reports from fans from there, and reports from fans who support that club are actually, I think, are equally as important as anything else, because they watch their team week in and week out, and they'll let you know if they think somebody is bad or if somebody is good. But don't forget, he is playing teams like Sunderland, who are doing very well, teams like Charlton, who are tipped to, to, well, to get to the players if they don't sell all their players through their their owner is trying to do at the moment now teams like Portsmouth who you know very well you know um, you know teams you know decent teams he's, he's having to play against week in and week out and uh, and, and, he, and he's performing admirably so you know it's uh, again it's good for Brentford it's also interesting because I remember even when he was playing we thought really bad for Brentford where you know he'd come in and he'd look nervous and he'd make mistakes but Richard Lee who's a goalkeeper that was very good for us, we have a respect for him, always said, I think Jack Bonham is going to go to the top. I think he's a fantastic goalkeeper. Trust me, I was with him at Watford and, you know, and, and, and I've been watching him and I've, I've seen, you know, the way that he, he plays. And, and you, you have to look at somebody like Richard Lee and he hasn't, I don't, as far as I know, he hasn't got an interest in, in Bonham because he's, I think he's looked after by, um, um, he's looked after by um, one of our other ex-players actually, but he's not, you know, um, yeah, yeah, Scott, 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 Scott Barron, Scotty Barron looks after him. You know what I'm saying? So he's got, a, you know, he's not hasn't got that kind of interest in him. You know, um, Richard Lee's doing a lot more media stuff and stuff like that. So he's sort of saying it from a goalkeeper's perspective. So you've got, to, you know, you've got to listen to these people. But um, respect to Jack Bonham. Fingers crossed, he gets a decent draw on Saturday, and I've really hoped he goes to, to Wembley and he and he and he does the business. That would be um, Portsmouth at Bristol Rovers semi-final draw would be a would be a, quite a draw. Gasheads against Pompey, um, yeah, that could be old school. That's right, <laughs> properly properly old school. Um, where else? What else do we have here? If you listen to the radio show on Monday. Uh, myself and David Anderson, we talked about uh, this little league called the Justice League. There's also an article on besotted.com. If you check it out, there's a little article on the Justice League, um, which is a little league which has been set up by the Statos, which, in effect, it's, it talks about in and around XG. XG, like I said to you, um, I don't want to go into it too much here because it's, like it's getting into it too much, but the whole idea is that there's a league table that is based on opportunities, um, basically the opportunities that your team may create good opportunities and also on the other way um, um, opportunities that you may concede as well so there's a league table which says that by the opportunities you create and also concede this is where you should be and we talked about this on the radio show on Monday and also there's an article on besotted.com which showed that the, the actual league table is slightly different to the real table there's a couple of teams that are up there at the top Leeds United West Brom um, uh, Norwich they're all up there so basically it's saying that what they're doing 
and the chances that they're creating and, and conceding pretty much match their league position. So Leeds are first, you know, West Brom are probably second or third. You know, it's all it's all probably right. You know, Burroughs pretty much up there. But then after that, it all goes a little bit amiss. And the, the most interesting one is Derby County. Derby County have been coming up. I mean, they smashed us 3-0 up at Derby. You know, we switched off, you know, after a minute. I think we went ahead after a minute. Me and Laney were still outside. And then we switched off. Bang, bang, bang. They scored three goals. And before we knew it, we were down. And, you know, everyone thinks, ah, oh, Derby County. You know, Frank Lambert's Derby County. They're obviously brilliant. Not knocking them. Brilliant. They've scored brilliant goals. You know, one of the goals they scored was about 25, 30 yards. Um, but this Justice League table was saying, actually... Compared to the chances that they're creating, and there's this whole kind of algorithm thing that goes on, they should actually be 17th, not 6th. And listen, if they carry on what they're doing, of course they're going to end up being 6th. If they carry on scoring goals from 25, 30 yards, they will do. But what was very interesting, looking at the teams who potentially should be higher than their performance. Brentford are 18th at the moment in the league, or 17th, but according to this league, they should be 8th. Wigan, I think, are lower than us, and in this league, they should have been about or a little bit higher, but they should have been ninth or 10th. Again, you'll have to look at this article, but what, the, the interesting thing about it is that what we're going to do is that we're going to, you know, in a, three weeks' time or so, we're going to sort of look back at this league and see how much it's changed and see how much it really does predict how teams should be doing or should not be doing. Because I talked about, I think it was two seasons ago, when Reading were very high in the league, but according to this Justice League and all the Satos, they were about 18th. They said, you know, they've been really lucky, they shouldn't be here. They didn't get to the playoffs the following season. They didn't do very well. This season, they're not doing very well. And it's kind of like worked out over a period of time that the luck that they had hasn't come in. But, I mean, I just thought that was uh, really, really quite interesting. It just gives a little bit of a different edge, different side. It's not gospel. You don't have to believe anything. But it just gives you something else to, 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 to watch your games and to read your games on. Yeah, I mean, as somebody with a statistics A-level, I do get it. I do understand it. And I, you know, I recognise that the, the 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 longer period you've got to look at the statistics, the more accurate they're going to be. Uh, but the the one thing about Derby um, doing so well is that they they score lots of goals from where they shouldn't, like 25 yarders, etc. But if you've got a Premiership player, and they've got a couple, haven't they, from Chelsea or wherever, um, yeah, who they, who can Harry Wilson, Harry yeah, Wilson's a and, and Mason, Mason Mount yeah. as well. Yeah. And they, they can, they, they're actually capable of scoring from 25 yards against championship teams, then that actually gives them that edge. So maybe the XG normally would be, oh, that's only like a point, point zero 0.05 chance. But if they've got the quality to actually score those goals, then that actually, that's what's push, pushing them up there. So there's, 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 you know, the idea that, yes, it's, it's quite a low XG and they're, their position is not really where they should be but if you've got the players to actually do that then maybe they're not in as as unlikely a position as they really are so you're saying they should weight the xg because of the extra quality in the players they've actually managed to pull in their side because in principle they shouldn't have those players in their side because they should be premier league players yeah well i think i think you should look at the players and see what their strengths are i mean it might be that uh, some of our players strengths leads to certain goals that we score but other teams wouldn't so yeah it, yeah it's an, it's an interesting one I think one of our crew um, Tobe said that 
you know, um, he talked about um, David Beckham, who, who probably scored a lot of goals that would not have been XG rated because he was scoring goals from outside the box, he's scoring free kicks and stuff like that. And that kind of makes some sense to me that if you've got a Beckham in your team, and I used to watch Beckham and think, you know, and maybe I watch football more as XG in, in, to some extent. And I used to really wonder what Beckham brought to the pie. But clearly he scored a lot of goals from his position. And he fired crosses in that, you know, scored that the, the goals were scored from. But I, I always used to watch him and not really get him. Um, and, um, and that, and that got, made me start thinking about that. And, and, and I guess that's a fair point. I think, um, I think the other point is that they say 42 games isn't long enough in a season to get things to level out. And that's the Reading argument. That's why we play 46. Oh, was it 46? <laughs> Sorry, yeah. I, do you know what? I just worked that out. It's 40, yeah. Sorry, 46 games. But nevertheless, it still needs to be somewhere around the 100 mark. And, that, and that's kind of the Reading argument. Um, we're always at the bottom. We're always, before, we're always at a lower level in the league than our XG. Yeah? And so there's two. There's, you could say it's flawed. Or you could say we have to reinvent ourselves each season and we never give the team long enough before having to reinvent the team because we sell players to get enough games for it to even out. Um, so, you know, it, maybe, you know, it's not a great way to, to, um, to sort of see how Brentford are going to do in a 46-game season because by next season, we all know we'll have reinvented ourselves. We'll have four or five different players and all bets are off again you know we have to you know so therefore we never get that 100 game or however many games you need span of games for everything to start evening out so but, very but don't other teams reinvent themselves as well I mean other teams if they've got decent players they'll, 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 they'll go as well though, wouldn't they well they will which therefore makes you wonder if how so that therefore that, that is my kind of my argument is that how relevant is it if everybody's reinventing themselves every 40 games and it takes 100 games for the XG to actually give you a good value. And I'm no expert on stats and, um, and, and I know we've got a few in our crew that are. That, that'd, be an, that'd be a question I'd like to ask. So, but obviously it's, it's, they're doing it over a shorter space of time, which may be only a season. And so I suppose one of the things is that if you are bringing new players in, these players have to be up and running a lot faster then you know they, they have to be up and running a lot faster, or you have to be in a, a season where your team doesn't change much. So, like last season, I think it was our team, or was it this season? Our team didn't change very much. The only person that changed was Ryan Woods. So we thought, oh great, we're going to actually do really well this season because our team hasn't changed much. Then all of a sudden, we got hit with injuries. So then all of a sudden, that kind of has messed everything up. So it's, it becomes quite difficult because you there's too many other external factors yeah, aren't there and, and, and that would be my question to somebody that can hopefully explain it a bit more to me is that if you're not um, if, if you need say and I'm sure I've read this somewhere certainly more than 46 games for everything to kind of even out but you're but there's an evolution going on constantly then when does it ever even out you know is kind of my take on it I think it's a good barometer um, and um, you know, I, I'd like to think that you can't get relegated if your XG puts you in the top ten, but maybe you can, and vice versa. Um, but you know, the, uh, everyone talks about the Reading, and that the indicators were that Reading were not the team they appeared to be, and it was very clear the following season. And I'm not really party to who, what they sold and how much that team changed. The manager didn't change, I don't think. Certainly not at the beginning. Um, and um, you know, so. Yeah, it's, it, it's interesting to look at, um, but I think there's a few more sort of questions, bugs that need to be ironed out from it. 
Yeah, I mean, there's the player churn, there's the manager churn as well, because that, that can just like stop a team dead in their tracks and they have to start again from scratch. Uh, but we've also got the, the injury problem. Someone like Brentford, who are totally, totally reliant on Mope, I mean, we know that. And you know, we haven't got anyone else in the squad that can replace him anywhere near as effectively as he can play. So if we were to lose uh, a Mope for the rest of the season, you know, through injury or whatever, then you, know, you could see that we might, we might meant to be seventh now, uh, but we wouldn't be. For the, for the next twenty sort of odd games. So. Yes, I mean, and look, but, but again, this is the same argument for Derby County because if they'd lost, you know, um, you know, um, Mason Mount or you know, or, or, or Harry, you know, Harry Wilson, you know, Wilson again, they would be complete, not say completely scuppered, but that would really quite seriously dent them because where you see where a lot of their goals are coming from. So we're not the only teams to to suffer from from this issue, this problem, you know, and and, it, and a lot of it comes from strength and depth. And you know, substituting players in and all this kind of stuff. I think that's right. It's, it's strength in depth. So team teams like Aston Villa, Derby, etc., who can get players in when they need to, or have a squad that is very big anyway. I mean, you know, they could just like that Villa can just pick out a Hogan from their from their sort of B team now. You know, wherever he's playing, I don't know. But but you know, they've got these these players that they can just pick out who could do a job. We haven't. I when I watch Derby and I watch him occasionally on telly. Um, if I watch Richard Keogh, I can definitely see they're a 17th, 18th place team if I, when I watch him every week playing for them. Indeed. Listen, so listen, so listen, the Justice League, as we call it, like I said, it's a league table which, it, which, which tries to pit you on performance and hopefully it will see where teams will be um, or where they're meant to be going, where, the, where they should be if, uh, if they basically converted all their chances and didn't let in a particular amount of goals. Um, at the moment now, like I said to you, Leeds, Norwich, West Brom, teams like that are doing exactly as they should be doing. But the interesting things well, teams to watch are Millwall. Millwall apparently underperforming, and according to this table, in a month or like six weeks' time, Millwall will be higher. Brentford will be much higher, and also Wigan will be much higher. Nottingham Forest will actually be lower, is what they're saying. And a lot of the Forest aren't doing that great at the moment now. They're about 13th or 14th. And they're talking about them being about 18th or 19th as well. So there's a, there's a couple of teams, and Sheffield Wednesday as well, um, who shouldn't be? Who, yeah, who shouldn't be doing as well as they should do? So Sheffield Wednesday should even be lower, and they're not doing particularly well as well. But according to this Justice League, and also Blackburn Rovers, who beat us at Blackburn as well, according to the Justice League, Blackburn Rovers punching above their weight, and they're doing much better than they should be according to their performances. Not knocking what they're doing, great, they've got the points on the table, but they're saying that you know in six months or, or, or sorry, six weeks or two months' time, Blackburn Rovers will be a lower position than where they are. So what? we're going to do as besotted we're going to come back to this in about three weeks time and every three weeks we'll be revisiting to see how true this league is how much you can predict or if it is a load of old codswallop anyway talking about other things looking around the hive looking around the league i mean big name thierry henry has been sacked oh or he's on holiday whatever you want to call it thierry henry is no longer manager of is it monaco so Monaco, they said, see you later, Thierry. I mean, not be funny, it was only a couple of days ago that Thierry Henry was going for the Aston Villa job. Um, so I think it was the Aston Villa job that Dean Swift got in the end. So whatever happened there, I think that, I think he was meant to be lined up for the Villa job for what happened. And either he turned it down or something didn't quite happen. He's gone off to Monaco. Three months, I mean, he probably thinks, I should have taken that Villa job. But he didn't. Dean Smith has got the Villa job. Thierry Henry is going to be on gardening leave. He's going to be sort of, you know, a couple of plants and the herb garden, all sorts of stuff going on. And um, 
we were just sort of thinking about this because there's a lot of talk about these big namers. I mean, one minute Diary Henry is on Sky TV chatting about games. I don't know, you know, what coaching badges and everything like that. He might, he might have good, he might have bad coaching badges, but, you know, lots of teams, they like the big names to come in. They believe the big names are going to come in. They're going to motivate their team. But, you know, how, how much has this worked? I mean, I know that everyone talks about Frank Lampard's derby. And the jury's still out. Frank's doing, you know, he's doing all right. They love, they love him on TV. You, you can, you can see it. They love him on TV. They get some good results. You know, they've beaten Man United. They've beaten some teams out there. So as far as they're concerned, Frank Lampard has got his job at Derby for quite a few years. But how many of these big names are actually doing all right? Just, they've just been crowbarred into these teams because they've had the experience as a player, not necessarily as a coach. Do you need the experience as a coach to kind of just crowbar yourself in there? Savvy B? I think it's quite interesting to look at the 1966 England World Cup team. Um, the, the only one that really, really made it as a manager was uh, the worst player, which was uh, Jackie Charlton. And uh, the, the other one who's kind of had, had an OK career as a manager, but wasn't really loved uh, at most of his clubs, was uh, Alan Ball. <laughs> who, yeah. who, I, who has some bizarre record of getting so many clubs relegated. Yeah. I mean, I, he, I, yeah, he wasn't... Yeah. He maybe in his later years had a little bit of a renaissance, but he was very good at not being very good as a manager. I mean, he, he did manage to make a career out of it, but yeah, you're yeah, right, it wasn't very good. But Jack Charm was the only one, and Jack Charm played very pragmatic football. Uh, but all the others, they, they tried, you know, one, one year, maybe two years, failed. So, yeah, I mean, it, it's, it's nothing to do with it, what name you are or how good a player you are. Uh, you know, we, we all know very much about Terry Butcher. Um, so, yeah. You know, I, I, it's, it's got you know your your name. It might you know you might be a great player and become a great manager, but just as easily you might not. So I mean, Terry Butcher, obviously great England player, big hero for England player. The old the old bandage around his head with the blood. Came to Brentford was possibly one of the worst managers Brentford ever had. But then went to Scotland to Inverness, Cali Thistle, and the, uh, they loved him up there. Yeah, you know, there's something different about. You know, Butcher was very successful on more than one occasion, I think, as a manager in Scotland. So, and I guess there's something that the way it works is something different about it up, um, in Scotland. I, I, I can't profess to say what it was, um, but I, I still remember the day he was made manager of Brentford, and all Greg Dyke did was tell us what a wonderful player he was for England, um, how he wore his heart on his chest, and he bled for England. And I thought, he's not playing for us, so, Greg, he's going to be our manager. Uh, you haven't told me any reason why he should be our manager. Um, and um, that infuriated me at the time, um, and that's, which is a long story that I won't go into now. And, um, you know, it, I, 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 I'm not convinced by this. You know, you played, you're a great player, you'll make a great manager. Um, I, I, I even struggle to think of many that did. I mean, I, we were talking about it a little bit earlier. I, I think Glenn Hoddle probably is one of the few, and I know clearly, you know, Glenn Hoddle has his issues as a manager. Um, what went on when he became England manager, stuff like that. Um, stuff what stuff's that? Because people might not know. You know, like the religious stuff and... Um, it's more to the old... is the psychic, the psychic. Yeah, the, the psychic stuff. And, and there was the religious comments as well. Um, and, and that, which was all a bit, you know, a bit <clears throat> either wrong or way out there, depending on your, your point of view. Um, I'd say wrong with the religious stuff. Um, and, um, but, but, but Hoddle was one of the few that, that sort of went from... I think he went, what did he go, Swindon manager, Chelsea manager, England manager. And, and let's be brutally honest, is we can talk about you know, all this, the, the stuff we've just referred to, but 
purely as a football coach and manager, he was he was successful. Do, do you um, remember when Glenn Hoddle uh, was at Brentford when uh, Swindon, Swindon Brentford yeah. at Griffin Park? I'm pretty sure the score was three all, and it was a very very fiery match. And I think. Uh, maybe was one of the Wilkins playing in that game as well I can't remember 100% I don't, I don't think so I think McMahon was running it was well, was that afterwards I remember a game against Swindon where McMahon was running around kicking people um, and I'm not actually I'm not sure if that was the McMahon era which followed the, the Hoddle era or not I'll have to look that up so um, so don't put me on the spot on that um, but um, but you know he, he he made that transformation I'm trying to think of others that have made it immediately from being a player. I mean, again, I'm just trying to throw a couple of little names in there. I mean, one one player that definitely didn't do very well, and I was very confused how he stepped from being a player, I don't think he even had any coaching badges, to become a, a manager, was Tony Adams as well. I think he went to Wickham Wanderers, and he was he was awful. He was absolutely awful, and he was really, really quite terrible. Another player, I have to admit as well, even though he's kind of stuck in there as well, I thought was really awful, um, was Roy Keane. You know, when he went over to Ipswich, I didn't have, a, I, I had no idea what was he, you know, what he was doing. I can't remember who he was before Ipswich. He was, he was the manager who actually turned down um, Jordan Rhodes when we took Jordan Rhodes from um, from Ipswich. We had him on loan and we sent him back to Ipswich. We thought there's no way when Roy Keane came in that he's going to actually keep him. And Roy Keane had a look at him for a few weeks, said, oh, no, mate, you're no good to me. And he sold him off to Huddersfield. And then he went and scored about 755 goals for Huddersfield in two weeks. So uh, Roy Keane, since then, I haven't had much respect for him um, as a manager. And uh, he's, he's still there. He's, he's, he's turned up now. Has he turned up at Forest? I'm not quite sure if he's actually quite got in there at Forest as yet with uh, with Martin O'Neill. But he was... He was he was he was sub at Ireland, it was, and uh, that was interesting. It has to be said. But also, I'm going to say because we're talking about Scotland as well. Steve Stephen Gerrard, I mean, he's gone straight in at Rangers. Do you think that you know he's been? I mean, short space of time, successful. I think uh, Rangers are probably the equivalent of a League One t- team anyway. So it's probably a good place to start for for somebody like him. <laughs> okay, which is fair enough as well, and. Uh, the interesting new one as well, I'm going to say this as well though, is like, is Sol Campbell, because Sol Campbell is at, is it Macclesfield? Yeah, he's at Macclesfield and there's a rumour going around that Sol Campbell, I think bets are off that, um, for the Oldham job. I think there's a vacant Oldham job at the moment now, I might be wrong, and I think the bets are off for that and I think there's rumour that maybe Sol Campbell might be moving across to the Oldham job. The interesting thing is that because he got absolute pelters when he got that job, people said he wouldn't last a minute, he's not going to do anything, he's going to absolutely mess it up and he's done all right at the Mac and uh, it's just interesting how people will, will willingly write Sol Campbell off immediately but then they won't write Steven Gerrard off immediately or Frank Lampard immediately. It's really kind of weird and it's like they've probably had sort of kind of similar sort of coaching bad, whatever it is and coaching ability but it's just you know again you know I'm just just flagging that up like, you know so we'll see what you know Sol Campbell goes and does he's kept his mouth quiet he's done alright where he is he's you know probably going to go off and get his next job and they'll see where we go on from there but anyway um, you got anything to say anything about no, these no, characters no, 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 no I'm just trying to think of other I mean Joe um, I'm trying to think of other, of other players that went as managers and struggled Dennis Wise I don't think was particularly successful um, John Barnes wasn't successful um, you know it there's more to it than just being a good player. There is indeed. And listen, we'll see because this might come up because you never know. Thierry Henry might sort of kind of turn up back in our league and he might actually end up getting the next Villa job. Um, but you just, you, well, you, you know, you just never know what's going to be happening down at Aston Villa. But anyway, listen, we'll 
coming back to bring it back to our, our own personal team here as well and like I said to you we've always liked to talk about the B team again you know our good old friend Rob Rowan um, RIP Rob really really good Rob, and he and he gave us a really good insight into what was going on with the B team there's a little bit of beef going on on Twitter if you've seen recently because one of our our, our, our B team players are Carlo Povida I think his name is he played for Manchester City against Burton on the other night when um, they put in obviously the team they, they, they're already nine eight nil up or nine nil up from the first leg so you know naturally of course you're going to bring in a couple of uh, reserve players or whatever you call them players into your side like what we would do and naturally what's happened is that a lot of the people who were not happy with the um, closing of the academy and the resolution of the B team have come up on Twitter and they you know, have made the point that they believe that this has proved the point that the closing of Brentford Academy was wrong. Now, listen, I'm not going to get into the politics of this. We've gone into this beforehand from the view that what we've heard... Oh, I'll get into it, OK? The view that what we've heard is that the, the Academy was not working for Brentford financially and for various other reasons. This is what we've heard. And also um, because there is a number of players, including Povida, who is playing for Manchester City now, who was poached by Manchester City in effect because he decided when it got to the crucial age of 17 where you can actually sign a full-time proper contract before that you can't do that he wouldn't sign a contract and there's a, a former employee who put a word out there saying I work for the club at the time and I was actually told that his agent said I'm not going to sign for Brentford he said that I also know that I was also told at the time before this is all kicked off I was told that Povida was not going to sign a new contract that the club was really pissed off that they spent three or four years developing this person and when it came to the time they wanted to sign him on a new contract it wouldn't happen so listen I've got no I've got no beef about this I've got no ins or anything like that but I know I was told this before it happened I was also told the same thing about Josh Bohui was the kid who went to Manchester United exactly the same thing before it happened before it all kicked off before the B team thing happened before the academy went down I was told that this player they'd developed for a number of years when it got to the age of when he was going to sign for Brentford he had decided or whoever his advisors are that he wasn't going to sign for Brentford and next minute Manchester United came in and we probably got 200 grand or 150 grand or 50 grand or 80 grand which to be quite honest you in the bigger scheme of things means nothing to us when you look at how much we have put Mepham you know, we have sold Mepamon for when he hasn't even played 30, 30 games the other thing that I, the question I'm going to ask now and like I said to you, this little beef thing is going around Twitter is that they're saying that Brentford didn't want to sign these players. The question I'm going to ask is that, so, and they, and they quote Chris Mepham as being the shining light of how the academy could work. Chris Mepham, yes, he came into the academy and then he was asked to sign for the B team. He went to his agent, he said to his agent, do you think this is a good move? The agent said, yes, let's go for it. They went for the academy to the B team when it changed over. So he was one of the players that decided to go to the B team. Brentford went to a number of players and asked them if they wanted to transfer over. I'm going to ask the question is that why did Povida and Josh Bohui not do the same? Because there's no way that Brentford would have not said we don't want you to sign for our B team. Why did that not happen? So all I'm going to say to you is that listen you may have lots of information and everything like that but it, it, it kind of doesn't make sense from people out there. But coming back to the B team, the B team um, which also we will say to you is that, yes, great, they're probably to play for Man City, but we've probably had about, I don't know, 10, 12, 14 B-team players who have actually made first-team debuts as well. You know, just in some way, whether or not it's FA Cup, you know, we've had quite a few people play FA Cup. We've also had the, the, the Carling Cup, because don't forget, Povida didn't play a, a, a league game. He played a Carling Cup match. Yeah, yeah. So 
So we've had quite a few players over the last few years who have actually made an appearance in one of these trophies, which is a, a competitive appearance. If you'd come through the B team, you would have been in the same position. So it's, it's not that much of a big deal, especially playing against Burton when you're 9-0 up, you know what I'm saying? So, uh, I, I think the point is that we... I think it's fair to say that the academy closure was dealt with somewhat clumsily. Um, I think we'd all agree with that. Yeah. I think there's two aspects to it, though, is that the closure of it and the reasons for closing it. So let's, let, let's say the, the closure of it, clumsy. The reasons for closing it, we're not really going to know for another few years as to whether that was a good decision or a bad decision. And even then, we're never really going to know because ultimately those players went off in different directions to different clubs and therefore were trained by different people, etc., etc. But but to, to be making those sort of, you know, to, to, to be able to define whether it was a good or a bad thing now, it's way too early. Um, and, um, you know, we'll, we'll know when these players hit 25, which is when they're at their peak and whether... Because for me, the, the issue with academy football is always... It's not finding the best players that are 15 years old or 13 years old or 17 years old. What you need to find are the, best, are the players that are going to be the best players when they're 25 years old. And to make any measurement before that, um, I don't think is is worth considering. That, that, that's my view on it. So, anyway, B team played Huddersfield on. They played Huddersfield a couple of times. Interestingly, Huddersfield used to have an academy, and they looked at Brentford. They stripped their academy down, and they've now got this elite team, as they call it, which is their equivalent of the B team. So we played their academy. We beat them four two, four three. In fact, it was uh, Marcus Force, who is one of our. He's he's our A team third in line striker probably at the moment now and he's coming back from injury so he scored a, a goal he scored another goal um, he scored a goal a couple of weeks ago at Wingate and Finchley in, the, in that cup so he scored another goal there as well Jaden Onin who's I think he's a relatively new player as well he scored a goal he actually set up the first goal as well and then Colder Silver scored a really good goal if you check it back if you go onto um, bredford.co.uk if you just check it out there's a video on there and also on the, on the Huddersfield website it's got some highlights you watch that game as well and um, you can watch the highlights of it but Colder Silver scored a really good goal and also did Magica as well and like I said the Magica I, I noticed him little, just a small little player little winger and uh, he set up a goal against Wingate and Finchley and I thought mm, okay it's quite interesting Took but he also scored a goal as well which is a good goal on uh, the Huddersfield game so you can check that out but like I said the, the B team are doing their thing and they're getting this stride they didn't have a particularly great start to the season but I think they were bringing in a lot of new players and they've been embedding in and then we've got Lars Fries who's just come in and taken over from Kev O'Connor so there's a few changes going on in there so check that out so yeah very proud that the P team has done their thing and like I said they're going to uh, Ireland they get the Shamrock Rovers a couple of weeks time, and I'm still making up my mind whether or not we're going to go to that one or not I'm not quite sure but there's a, quite a few bees going out to that the day before Nottingham Forest as we say but look we've talked about this we need to oh, we've been talking around the hive I thought we were going to talk about this for about two minutes but we talked about this forever we've got to talk a little bit about transfers and other bits and pieces so we're going to talk about transfers but I'll come back to it apologies like I said special guest today hasn't quite happened but give it a week or two and beside promise you we'd have, we've been promised special guest it was a, wasn't our fluff it was a, a mix-up in the old diary, um, external to what we can do, and we can't do anything about that. But special guest either next week or the week after. is a bit of juggling because obviously next week's FA Cup match, so the week goes a little bit funny. So if it's not next week, it might be the week afterwards, um, but we will let you know as soon as we do. But coming back to transfers, 
Next Thursday is transfer deadline day, 11 o'clock, and we will know who is still with Brentford, who we have brought into Brentford. Interestingly, on Monday, we've got a match against Barnet. And, uh, OK, it's a cup game, so uh, we might change a few players, but also we know that Thomas Frank needs to, likes to keep a relatively strong side. But maybe that Barnet match might be an indicator as to who Brentford might decide that they don't want to risk for an injury with deadline day coming up on Thursday. Now, the biggest transfer that's gone through has been in the offing for quite a while. Exactly a year ago, we had a young player who came from our B team, and we talked about the B team a little bit earlier, so I'm not going to go on about that. Um, He started off at the academy, yes, for a little bit, then he decided to sign a contract for our B team, and then we have signed him on to a Premier League team for £12 million plus add-ons which means that we can get a lot more money if he decides to move to Man United, whoever it is, for a lot more money. But that's in the future. Chris Meppham, brilliant player, brilliant, brilliant attitude. Everyone really loved him. 100% B, OK, he's a QPR fan, but you can see that he bled red and white and he gave his all for Brentford and he really did care. And I haven't seen anyone who hasn't wished him luck in his move to Bournemouth. £12 million, Eddie Howe has been tracking him for a year. He was down there last, some, last January. And we put out quite a few tweets. We meant tweet and we mentioned the fact that Eddie Howe was coming down to see Chris Meppham or Ollie Watkins, we thought it was. He made his thoughts very clear, put in an offer for him for and I've got it in the article that I wrote, I don't remember exactly if it's six six grand or eight grand. He put an initial offer for Chris Meppham and then he put one in the summer for ten grand. And that was rejected. Um, 10 grand or sorry, 10 grand 10 million sorry 10,000 pounds that's right <laughs> that's right but yeah so he, he's, he's done that and then 10 million pounds as well um, and so yeah so that's so 6 million pounds in last January 10 million pounds in the summer and now 12 million pounds seems to have sealed the deal plus the add-ons as it is but the interesting thing about this Mepham deal is Aston Villa came in, and this is 100%. I've, we heard it from, there's a little journal that put a little tweet out, and we did a little bit of a verification. We spoke to our sources at Villa and all sorts of other places as well. 100% true that Aston Villa came in and bid more money than 12 grand. Rumour is about 13, 13 and a half, 14 grand, sorry, 13 million. 34, 40 million. They, 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 they looked to bring in Chris Meppham, and also they offered him more money. And this is, like I said to you, 100% true. You know, besotted, we don't go out for the old rumour tip. If we know something, we'll go out on a limb and we'll say that is 100% true. And that is the score that Aston Villa did come in and make an offer for Chris Meppham. And it wasn't accepted because he decided he wanted to go in the Premier League with Eddie Howe, who I suppose he thought he's going to develop his career because at the end of the day, he's only young and he's got a long, long way to go. And I'm not being funny, if he's... If he's only inverted commas on 20 grand a week at Bournemouth, I mean, that's, that's good enough for somebody who's, uh, you know, his age, who is probably on about sort of 200 quid a week um, <laughs> a few weeks before that. So, listen, good luck to Chris Meppham. You've been an absolute great servant for Brentford. And listen, hopefully we'll see you in a, a year or two when we get up to the Premier League. But this Aston Villa thing is a little bit more interesting because the fact they've made a bid for 13 million or such, which the Villa fans don't believe, but they can do what they want to. I'm just a little bit worried that we have a week to go now before the end of the transfer window. They're going to have a look say, well, we've got a little bit of money in the pot now. We haven't spent it. Who else can we get? Dean Smith is familiar with a few of these Brentford players and he may come in for something. And I think that this is 
highly likely. I, I haven't had any news from anybody, but I just think it's highly likely because he's done it once. He may do it again. Well, the, obvi- the obvious choice of the uh, the Walsall old boys, uh, Rico Henry and um, Romain Sawyers. Uh, but uh, now, now that we've got the 12 million for Mepham, we don't need to sell. So uh, our valuations for those two players can stay uh, where, where, where they are, you know, because we do value them quite highly. And so, that, so if somebody needs to prize them away, they're going to have to spend good money. And uh, we'll only accept that good money. So we're, we're in a good position. Uh, obviously, if somebody does stump up and say, your valuation is X amount and we're going to give you X amount, uh, we'll take it because we're not going down, we're not going up. So we, we can use that money. We don't have to panic. That's the good thing, you see. We don't have to panic and, and spend that money this window. We can use that money next window and get two or three players maybe and really bolster the squad. So, um, yeah, if it happens, it happens. Hopefully it does, doesn't because I think Rico Henry one day is going to be worth two or three times what he's worth now. I think he's worth 10 million now. So I think he's going to be a really, really valuable player for us. So, um, yeah, I, I think we're in a good position. I don't think we need to panic. If our valuation gets met, it gets met. The difficulty I have with that, and I, I, I do agree with you, and I think that's fair enough, but the problem that I have with that is the knocking on the door thing. And like I said to you, having worked as manager of the music industry, whatever you may do, you might have somebody under contract, but if somebody knocks on their door and they say, I don't want to work with you anymore, there's nothing you can do about that. And people say, ah, tell them to, you know, two fingers, this, that, the other harmony in the dressing room all this kind of stuff it just doesn't really work their head's not in the right place and then you have to work out the best option how you can get them out the door now if Rico Henry has been you know chatting to certain people um, um, or, 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 or or Romain Sawyers or whoever it may be and I'm, I'm not saying they are but you know we've mentioned their names and they come knocking on the door and saying look listen Gub just like I think a prime example was um, was Adam Forshaw Adam Forshaw was really happy at Brentford until Uwe Rosler went to Wigan. And then this is what happened. And I can tell you this, we know this for 100%. You know, Uwe Rosler and, and his people at Wigan talked into um, Forshaw's ear and said to him, right, tell you something, we're going to give you X, Y and Z. We want you to come to Wigan. Forshaw, in effect, pretty much went on strike, said, right, I'm not going to pay for you anymore. Brentford, blah, 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 said the other. I want to get out of here. It caused all sorts of ruckuses and nastiness. Wigan put in a fee of like 500,000 or something stupid. It all kicked off and it was a really horrible situation. But at that stage, Forshaw decided that he didn't want to go. So for Brentford, they realised there's no point keeping him there, even though he was under contract. But we need to work out how we can get the best fee for him possible. And they put that. That was probably one of our first examples of putting our foot down. So my fear, like I said to you, is that if Sawyers walks in and says, listen here, Gov, I want to go, we, 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 there's not a lot we can do about that. We need to create the best situation. Yeah, I think if Sawyers does come in and say, we, I want to go, then we can still say, well, as soon as somebody meets our valuation, you can go. And because this is January, it's not the end of the season. End of the season, you know, it might be much more easy for us to let him go. Uh, I, I think we, we don't need to panic. We're not going, as I said, we're not going up, we're not going down. Uh, I could quite easily see somebody going if, if the valuation's met. What we don't have to do is panic. And that, that puts us in a good position. One, one thing I will say, and I'm coming back to, because we are talking about Aston Villa here, um, for one team only because they've already put in like I said to you 30 40 million for Chris Meppham as a transfer fee the interesting thing the difference between him and what Uwe Rosa did 
Uwe Rosler came from Brentford. He knew exactly how much Forshaw was worth. And they went in and they put on a bogus fee and it just upset anybody. And it didn't do him any favours, it didn't do anyone any favours. And he got the negotiation off to a really bad start. To be fair to Dean Smith, he obviously knows how much Mepham's worth. He's gone to Villa. I tell you something, you ain't going to get him for anything less than 30, 40 million. They've put in the figure, it's gone in. You know, Brentford probably thought, okay, maybe, but Mepham's made the decision. He wants to go to Bournemouth. So my, my thought is here is that I don't believe that Dean, Dean Smith is a good bloke. You know, fair enough, he's a good bloke. Okay, he's at Aston Villa, so I don't want him to win or do anything at Villa anymore, but he still is a good bloke. And I think that when he comes to Brentford, he will do the right thing. So if he thinks that, he knows that we think that Rico Henry is worth 10 million, he's not going to go in there and tell Villa to go and bid 1 million. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, I mean, let's hope so. Um, and that there's none of the under sort of hand tactics where you um, get the player to. Um, you know, to, to, to try and force the move, which is, I suppose, when it becomes a bit distasteful. I mean, you know, we saw it with Tarkowski, for example. Um, I, I think that's probably our biggest danger in this transfer window, if that does happen. Uh, I, I, I think a rather big danger is, I still have this thing that we will have a value on Mopay, and if somebody meets that and Mopay goes, we have to act very, very, very quickly if it's, you know, uh, or we have to make a decision that two days out we don't sell him because it's going to be hard to replace him. And I, I genuinely don't think we've got the players at the club currently. You could give Force a go, yeah. You could try and play Watkins there and Canos maybe, but I, I'm, I don't buy this idea that we are covered if Mope goes. Um, so that, that for me is my current, would be my current worry. Um, would we sell him if somebody came in and offered stupid money? We probably would. We'd probably work out our chances and um, take a punt that we won't get relegated and um, sell him. And, and interesting because one of the sort of kind of the outside, um, not say outside chance because you just never know, is there is a player who was, I thought, is on his way out because he was, like I said to you, he was about third in line and left back. He was fourth in line in the centre backs. But all of a sudden we've gone three to the back. We've sold a player and he's become quite integral to, to what we're doing. And also, um, now he's back on the pitch. A lot of Brentford fans are just loving it. And this is Barbe. You know, the way that he's been splaying those balls across the pitch, the way that he has his enthusiasm, and um, people are really excited. Now, if I remember rightly, and again, I'll have to look on, on, on my notes, I think Barbe's contract expires at the end of this season. So what are you going to do? Because the fact is that Brentford never, we ain't going to, the thing is that we're not going to let him go to the end of next se- this season. We're not going to let him go. So what, what are we going to do with Barbe? Yeah, I mean, sorry, so to pick up your point, can we let him go? I don't think we can. Um, there's already been, I think Thomas Frank was asked this afternoon, um, with Mepham going, how we covered at centre-back. Um, he had a couple of options in the B team. Um, obviously, um, Madsbeck was one of them. Um, and he did say Dowsgaard could probably play as the... He said either-sided centre-back. I assume he means right-sided. Maybe he could play on the left. Um, so I think losing Barbe would leave us very, very short centre-back. I feel we're short already losing Mepham. If you're playing three at the back, you need probably four or five options. If you're playing two at the back, you probably need four. So we probably just about got four, assuming that Mads Beckel Sonson will come off. Um, so, yeah, I, I, it's a bit of a, Barbe's a bit of a worry because, like you say, we would normally sell at this point... Um, 
because is he going to sign a new contract? I mean, I'd like, I, I love him. I think, I always think, I think all of our better runs have been when we play, when he plays. Um, he's a great player, and I think he's even better playing in this system at the moment. I think he's perfectly suited to playing as left left hand side of three. Um, it's his ideal position. Is he a left back? Is he a centre back? Is he a left back? Is he a centre back? We've been asking that for the last two or three years. Now we don't have to ask that question anymore because we've got his position somewhere in between two. Um, so yeah, I, th- there's a few dangers there. That's that's possibly another one. Uh, we could leave ourselves a little bit short centre back if we want to keep on playing three three centre backs. So in, we've got an interesting situation here, like I said to you with Barbe, because you know Dean Smith obviously is looking at a centre back and the Mepham thing hasn't come off, and they're obviously looking to offload and get players who are on high wages as well, so this may be a still thing. So we've got a week to go, we've got to keep our fingers crossed that we can keep our team intact, but talking about centre-back, we're just talking about a couple of bit of rumours of a couple of players that may have not been coming in. This has not been confirmed by any sources whatsoever, but you have to look about what's going around the interweb, and there's one player who is a central defender, who uh, Brentford has been linked with is Ethan Pinnock from Barnsley who we played against last season, who was actually fairly decent as well. So there's Ethan Pinnock, who who they're talking about. I looked at his contract. His contract is due in June 2020. So that's a year and a bit's time. But, you know, you could think a team like Barnsley would probably think we don't want him going into his last year and winding his contract down. So if they get an opportunity now, that's fine. But the figure that's been banded around for him is $6 And I can't see Brentford, $6 isn't the type of figure that we'll be playing for a player, you know, no due respect to the Ethan Pinnock, he's a, probably a great player, but six million isn't really kind of where we're looking at for a player like that. So, you know, if we're talking about two, three million, three and a half million, maybe as, as the market has gone up, maybe that might be the case. But, I mean, that's quite an interesting little uh, little move, isn't it, Sav? Yeah, I think I think we're probably reaching the stage now where we, we are going to be looking at players that are above what we've paid in the past. Because when you're getting 12 million from Epham, you're, you're, you're getting a bit of a war chest going. So I think we, we probably are going to start looking at players around the four million mark. Uh, six million does seem a long way off for us because uh, we still have to sort of uh, co- cover our uh, losses, which are quite substantial, and we've got to not break um, FFP as well. So, yeah, but I think, I think with, with the monies coming in, uh, we, we probably can start looking at four million players, but not six. I think um, I've seen I've seen that link. Um, I also saw um, is it not the top twenty? One of the podcasts um, also talk about um, Matt Clark at um, Portsmouth, who's he's twenty two, and you sort of feel that that might be a um, that might be a, a a sort of a a slightly better fit, a bit younger. Um, but I think the, the the problem with signing players from Portsmouth because I'd also make an argument that Jamal Lowe would be a good fit is that Portsmouth are an up and coming club now and um, and they're probably going to try and hold on to those players you would think rather than send to did I almost say teams like Brentford? <laughs> I think I did but you kind of take my point well, they um, could be in our league next season well they could and, that, and that's ultimately the point yeah yeah. Um, so he, he feels like a better fit um, but I'm, I'm not sure they're a selling club at the moment also, another player that's been linked with Brentford again. There was like the old smoke was going around um, a few about a week, a week or so ago, and then all of a sudden Sky Sports has reported as well. I've started to talk to my my contacts over at Charlton to see how true this is, what's going on. It's a player called Colin Grant, 
as well. He, he, you know, he's been scoring. I think he scored about 14 goals for them this season. He's been doing all right. He scored a penalty, I think it was, at the weekend. Um, interestingly, because he kind of started all right, and he's been out on loan quite a lot to a few teams. Come back to Charlton, and he's he's had a season which has kicked off, and it's done really well. And he's obviously seen to. Uh, <laughs> to, to, to reap while the sun is shining so there's a lot of people that are interested in him um, Huddersfield are reportedly in talks with him but I'm not sure how true that may be but like I said to you Carlin Grant not sure what the fee may be um, a striker from Charlton and uh, like I said to you there's, there's a little bit of activity and like I said to you we sped this for the last couple of weeks Brentford do have offers out on players it's not like we're we are silent on this one we are active in this window because we're looking to bring players in because players may leave this window players will undoubtedly leave the next window and the way that we've been operating is that we're operating ahead of the game now so the fact is that we have got players coming out so maybe this is one of the players that we're actually trying to see if we can reel in but from what I can hear the prices at the moment and this is this window people are like properly like boosting up their prices and whether or not we'll actually we'll fall for it is you know that's a that's a different story altogether yeah i mean um carl and grant is uh, is contract is up at the end of the season like a lot of child players uh but according to my child mates that he he only plays well with two up front and he's got lyle taylor up there with him and uh lyle taylor's just like basically feeding him all the goals he reckons that he is young. He has got a lot of potential. He's very fast, but he's uh, like one on ones. He's just like pretty hopeless. Um, so, so he's he's the kind of player with, with potential who's who we might be looking at. And apparently, I heard somewhere we put in an offer of half a million, um, but um, I think uh, Huddersfield are looking at two million. Obviously, Huddersfield have got a lot more money than we do, and uh, but they're looking at two million. Whether we'd go for that for the potential is another matter, but. Um, He's, he's a Greenwich boy, he's London, born and bred. He's, uh, so may, maybe a move to Huddersfield might be a bit too much for him, uh, going all the way up north without his mates around. Uh, because uh, don't forget, he's, he's good mates with Consu as well. So, so maybe we can entice him over if we, if we think that um, he's, he's actually genuinely got the potential that we're after. Uh, OK, and, and, and like I said to you, we've got transfer deadline day and it's in a week's time. You know, we've, we've talked the hind legs of the players that we feel that we should be bringing in we've talked about striker we've talked about you know to be honest with you it's like it, it, Brentford's got a two year cycle about players we didn't lose very many players this last window so it's almost like you can presume that you know whether it's this window or the next window coming up we're going to use lose a fair few players because that's what always happens with Brentford so it's a bit annoying if you're a fan to be quite honest with you because you quite get settled with these players it's not like the olden days where you had a player in the team for three, four, five, six, seven years and you got to love them and they loved you you know by the time you get to I me mean, Chris Wetman's not even played 40 games for Brentford so as much as we respect him he's brilliant and he's done great but he's not even played 50 games for us you know what I'm saying and that's coming out of the youth team and everything like that so you don't get the time to actually get the love with these players before they move on to somewhere else which is actually quite sad but hey ho that's the way it goes but listen keep tuned next week like I said to you we've got a podcast next week we might even have a rodcast we'll see how it goes depends on that we may have our special best guest podcast we will keep you in tune of what's going to happen in the next couple of days but we've got a game on Monday, it's an FA Cup game, and we're actually getting excited about this because for the first time in a while, we actually may be doing something in the FA Cup. We're going to talk about the FA Cup in just a bit. Monday, big, 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 big Cup game. 
you've got Barnet. Barnet, listen, they might be non-league, but they've just knocked out Sheffield United on their own patch. And apparently they play very well. So we're going to Barnet's patch, so it's not going to be easy for us. The good thing about it is that we've picked up in form. And also it looks like Thomas Frank, unlike his predecessors, is going to take the FA Cup seriously. So hopefully we put up a reasonably strong side against Barnet. What do we know about Barnet? Martin Allen. <laughs> As we said, if you listen to the radio show, we spoke to Martin Allen and he was uh, he didn't come on the radio show on Monday because he was on a yoga spa in India. So uh, apparently he's back on Monday. He might even be at the game. And on Tuesday, I think he's doing uh, the Totally Football show. He's presenting that, which should be absolutely brilliant. Love the Totally Football League show. Really, really good. So Martin Allen's been presenting that. So you should definitely, definitely check that out. But coming back to this, forget about that. We're going to be going to Mem. He's from the Barnet podcast. Barnet pod. Or Bees pod, I think it's called. Which I'm not really happy about that, actually. <laughs> should we call fake Bees pod? And... Um, Mem is going to be giving us his five from the hive. Five from the hive. Fake bees, Barnet. Hi, I'm Mem from Bees Pod. Uh, we've been doing Bees Pod for about two years on and off. Um, lately, because uh, one of us is uh, coaching quite a lot and I've got a lot of family commitments. Uh, we've not we've been a bit more sporadic um, I've been a fan for about 28 years and seen three relegations three promotions uh, four promotions actually um, including when we were up to Div 1 uh, and lots and lots of ups and downs so uh, it's never a quiet affair being a Barnet fan Barnet hasn't had the best time the past few years how are you getting on this season? I think last season was just hugely demoralising uh, we started off well, but we had the worst injury uh, record and loads and loads of our best players like John Akinde were out for for months and we just the season just ground to a halt around the time we got Mark Biggie and then after that it was for me it was obvious from about sort of January onwards that we were definitely going down and we just lit, and then Martin Allen came in at the end and almost kept us up so um, but I think most of us have resigned ourselves to going back to the conference and when June still was announced I don't think it was uh, really received that greatly by the fans I think we all remember this last time he was at Barnet and it was a really dull football but I think we were prepared to give him a, you know, a crack at it because he had taken teams out of the conference before but he built a team that was just so mediocre and the season, this, the results this season have reflected that We've been not very good to watch and lost a lot of games, more games than we should. And we, we kind of expected some sort of playoff, at least some sort of playoff push. But I think this season, um, if it weren't for the Cup, then I think this season would have just petered out. Um, with Darren Curry coming in, I'm hoping that, that we might have a little bit of a pick-up towards the end of the season. And he's had a little nice little run apart from the spanking we got the weekend. So we'll just have to wait and see. So considering the time you've had the past few seasons, how much of a pickup has this cup run been? Yeah, the FA Cup's been a bit of a welcome distraction for us because our league form's been so up and down that um, it's given us something to get excited about. And I mean, we got the we were in the fourth qualifying round and we played the bottom team in our division, so that was a reasonable game to get to get in the first qualifying. And then 
Um, and then once we got drawn against Bristol Rovers in in the first round, I think a lot of people, a lot of fans were thinking uh, maybe we'll, we'll be out in the first round this year. Um, and then we seemed to match them and take them to replay. But once we went to replay, I think most people thought that's it, we're out. And f- somehow we managed to to knock them out. And then and then it started to open up when we got drawn against Stockport in the second round because we suddenly thought, well, actually, we could get ourselves a good third round draw here. Um, and after getting through that, and we got Sheffield United, which I've got to admit I was well well underwhelmed about. I thought I really wanted a bigger side, um, but we played magnificently against Sheffield United and fully deserved to win that. So, I mean, it take and I've got to admit a lot of fans are actually quite um, disappointed to get Brentford. Bear, bear in mind, I think it was Arsenal, Man United, Chelsea. I think Tottenham were, in, were still in the draw. Man City. There were some big, big, big sides. So, you know, no offence Brentford fans, but um, I'm sure you probably were looking for a bigger draw than us as well. So, leads us nicely for uh, Monday's game and 90 minutes of two teams going hammer and tongs and uh, see if we can get to the fifth round and get ourselves a premiership uh, tie. So, um, I'm looking forward to it. It'd be great. Full house. John Still, he was respected as a manager, but Darren Curry's now in charge. We thought it'd actually be our own mucker, Martin Allen. How's Curry shaping up? Well, I think actually a lot of our best players are down the spine of the team. Uh, we've got um, Dan Sweeney, who has surprised a lot of people with uh, how well he's taken to playing centre-back. He's, uh, he likes to bring the ball out from the back. He's a big, big man-mountain of a guy. Um, very imposing. Uh, does a few too many Cruyff turns in his own box, but he's very talented and he's looking like um, he's really he's going to be probably play out the leagues a bit. And then we've got in centre mid, we've got Jack Taylor, who's I think 19 or 20 and very talented, kind of in the sort of ilk of a Kevin De Bruyne. Um, he's not really a number 10, he's not really a holding mid, he's a bit of a mix of a box to box and playmaker. Um, he can play in several positions in mid, midfield as well. And then up front, we've got Shaq Coulthurst, who I think is a league goal striker, and I think. Uh, I'm surprised that a club, a league club, hasn't come in for him. To be honest, uh, I think he's too good for this this area. But he's had a few personal issues with his um, his mother passing away, unfortunately, this season, and so it's it's kind of impacted him. And we've also got um, Efron Mason Clark, who plays on the who plays in the wide areas. He's 19, and I've been hearing stuff about him for a few years um, that he was going to be a big player for us in the future. And against uh, Sheffield United, he absolutely terrorised them. So I would say there are four sort of players to watch out for. I think so far Darren Curry's done quite well. Uh, he, we had a little run under him. We were unlucky at the weekend in that our goalkeeper got sent off in the first couple of minutes. But I've been really impressed with Darren Curry. Um, I did say on our podcast that there were three things that I wanted uh, from, uh, from the side moving forward from John Steele. I wanted us to move the ball quicker. I wanted us to have a bit more of a settled side um, and I wanted us to have a bit of a clear identity of how we play and what Darren's brought into the team is we're moving the ball much quicker, we're breaking a lot quicker and we've got um, a lot more speed in the flanks um, and the games, we're not so rigid. Um, this is one of my biggest criticisms of John Still is his game play, it's, so, it's all based around second balls and and it's very rigid play and there's not much uh, imagination. So, I mean, Curry's straight away, he's come in and he's changed the system. We're playing a lot different. We're playing much different. And I thought that the Sheffield United game, we, we beat them. We were really, really, really good. 
uh, and we broke at pace and we just we actually terrorized their defense so I'm hoping that Saturday's game against Braintree, the, the, uh, the loss was just a little blip, um, and now he's been now he's been confirmed today. Um, I'm hoping that he can take this team forward. So with a couple, with a couple of additions um, this season, I'll be I'll be happy for us just to be in the upper reaches of this division. Uh, but who knows? Maybe next year, um, you know, we could probably uh, make a little push for the playoffs. Um, as for Martin Allen, uh, well, um, to be honest, I think it's I think that that that, that ship needs to have sailed by now because it's just it was getting a bit silly how many times he came back. Um, so I'm kind of glad it's not Martin Allen. I think we need a bit we need to take a little break from him. The real bees and the fake bees have met a few times in the cup. The last time was in the JPT Southern semi-final at Underhill, where the fake bees Barnet knocked out the real bees Brentford on penalties after a nil-all draw. How do you think you'll shape up against the real bees? And give us a score prediction. On the surface, if you look at it and you think, okay, there's several divisions between the two, I think most people expect Brentford to comfortably win this. But I think the fact that we're playing at the Hive, it would be a full house um, there. And also I think the fact as well, I think Barnett played better against a side that likes to play football and from my understanding of Brentford and from what I've seen briefly you do like to get the ball down um, and I think away from the rough and tumble of the conference I think actually our players can maybe express themselves a bit better and put themselves in the shop window so I'm expecting this will be a lot closer than uh, some people might anticipate so I'm thinking that maybe Brentford might win 2-1 at a push Barnet you know might be a draw 1-1 and, uh, and go to a replay so that was Mem from Bees Pod, or actually, it should be called Fake Bees Pod. But anyway, that's a technicality. We all know what we're talking about. Listen, fired from the hive, and he's quite excited. He says the FA Cup has taken away from their season, which has been a little bit disappointing. Well, the last year has been a bit disappointing for them. So they're going to be right up for it. By the time the match comes on Monday, it should be pretty much a sellout. You know, the Barnet fans are potty for it. I live in that area and I've been walking around. I've seen characters with yellow and black scarves. I'll be going up to them and saying, you excited about the match? They're all excited about the match. And I said, oh, I'm a Brentford fan, actually. They go, oh, oh, you're a Brentford fan. Oh, so it's, it's, it's good. So we're going to be going down there. We've got 2,000-odd fans going down to Brentford as well. It's going to be an away, well, down to Barnet. It's a way game for us to the fake hive. But, guys, I mean, FA Cup fourth round. I don't want to look further ahead than this this match because I think it's very bad luck. But I was, I was doing a little bit of research, and we all doing a little bit of research around here. And what we realise is that, to be honest with you, we haven't got past the fourth round very many times, have we? Yeah, but this isn't that surprising because I, we've we've been in the championship now for four years, and it's only since then, and obviously the one year that we had in whenever it was in the um, in the early nineties that we've actually entered the FA Cup in the third round. So to get to the fourth round was quite an achievement. You know, that was quite some achievement now. It's less of an achievement, sorry, quite some achievement then. Less of an achievement now, but not surprising to find out that we haven't been in the fourth round all that often in the last, you know, however many years we looked at, probably since the Liverpool um, quarterfinal. But, which is true, but, to a certain, but, but on the flip side of that, is the fact that we've come straight into the third round. So to be quite honest with you, you know, beforehand, if we can go from the first round to the fourth, the fifth round, 
how come we can't get from the third round and pass the fourth round is what I'm trying to say and I think there's an attitude at the club that said actually it's the FA Cup so we can just throw in anybody else whereas beforehand we'd be so excited about this wouldn't we it's a difficult one isn't it it's because it, it goes back to the you know you've got all these players that play for the B team or on the fringes of the first team and do we need do we want to find out and and in the times where we have tried to find out we found out they're not quite up to it but we want to find out if they're up to it or not um, but we're all a bit bored of that now so actually just put the first team out because let, let's let's not joke about this right the way we're playing at the moment who who would want to play us in the FA Cup do, do the let's face it the, the top six teams in the Premiership are going to put their second teams out you know um, it, this competition we can we can have a good run in I've been saying it for years but if you if you focus on it if if you if your league position is secure um, and you're not you know aiming for the heights or worrying about relegation we're kind of secure we're not we're not we're not secure but we're kind of secure have a punt at the FA Cup it it gets it gets the club um coverage it makes the, you know it and and you know moving into the new stadium what why wouldn't you want to spread the word over west london that brentford are a team that um that are worth coming to watch um so let's have a let's have a real go here. i've been saying it for many years on the podcast and um you know you kind of is this the year where it kind of comes together so so guys i mean let's just a little heart back i mean fa cup when were the last times that brentford were actually in the hat for the fifth round so we're not going to talk about the fifth round we're going to talk about the fact that we were actually in the hat for the fifth round which means that we are we won or we drew which means that we were still in the fifth round uh, a fourth round match Seth uh, well I think the, the last time that we were actually there actually won a uh, fourth round uh, match was under Martin Allen in uh, his last season with us in 2006 and if you remember rightly it was that famous the famous game against Sunderland at uh, Griffin Park and um, uh, we beat them 2-1 and it's quite interesting looking you at scored? Uh, DJ Campbell scored both goals we beat them 2-1 but uh, just looking back it's quite interesting the things we forget uh, the one thing I forgot was that who Sunderland's manager was uh, it was Mick McCarthy uh, <laughs> so uh, so that, that, that surprised me but also looking, looking at the teams actually quite interesting because we had a really decent team I mean, you, you kind of forget uh, some of the players we had we had uh, Stuart Nelson in goal we had Frampton who we really rated there were certain times when Frampton I thought was a really good player uh, Sodjay and Turner I mean come on that's, that's a quality centre half pairing and uh, we also had uh, Tillen Sam Tillen who I thought was a decent player for a short while um, we had uh, Isaiah Rankin we had uh, Newman uh, we had uh, Tab uh, Arusu up front Arusu with Campbell DJ Campbell we know we sold for half a million and uh, we had uh, uh, a player we, we saw only the other week uh, John Messino was, uh, was in the side so uh, there's actually not and there's some decent players there and that, that was the team that, uh, that sort of, you know, got us to the fifth round uh, last so we, we would have been in a fourth round draw after the um, draw with Chelsea, right? We'd have been in the fifth so, round so, draw. So basically we drew two all with Chelsea at Griffin Park. Yeah. Um, you know, when, you know, so yeah. at that time when uh, Torres equalised for them, it was seven minutes to go. Yeah. Um, but yes, 
we went into the hat. Yeah. So at that stage, also we were in the fourth round, and we and we did very well then. So that was in 2013. So in 2013 as well, we were we we didn't lose our fourth round match. Yeah, Lord. Any other matches you, you can think of? Um, well, so let me think. So you've done. You've just done the Sunderland. Um, give me some more, Bill. Give me some more. Oh, there was the Hartlepool game. Um, you, the, 2005, that was. Yeah, 2005. Um, I'm trying to think of the details. It Help weird. me. It was snow. There was so it snowed. I oh, think. so we were in the draw because of the snow. Yeah. So we the first match we we played the first match at Griffin Park Nillal. Yeah. It was in January. So and then I think it was called off or something like that. And a few games were called off because of snow. And then they ended up putting the game on a Saturday. It wasn't FA on, Cup day. The, the, the day that we should have played Sunderland yeah. round, uh, oh. in the cup and in, in the league anyway. Right. Okay. Right. Yeah. Okay. And the characters walked to Hartlepool that day. Right. Okay. Yeah. Um, so and it and how did that go in the end? It, yeah, I think yeah. it, I think it was one nil. <laughs> yeah, so memorable, wasn't it? <laughs> so yeah, I think we won that one, and we end up playing Southampton. Um, but we're not going to talk about the fifth round. No, no. Uh, the, fourth, the fifth round, we're not going to talk about that. But we got through to the fourth round, and that was a Hartley ball, and that was in February two thousand and five. And I know that as well because uh, it was uh, the year that my son was born. And I remember sitting in the hospital with a TV, watching the sort of the Hartley ball game, keep my fingers crossed that we were actually going to beat them. And uh, and we did, and then I went to to the next match and didn't go down particularly well. But anyway, we won't talk about that. Uh, <laughs> it, went, it went okay to start with, then it didn't go okay. No, no, I'm talking about the fact that I actually left oh, to go to the match. Yeah, you know, yeah, what I'm saying yeah, a couple yeah. of days after my son was born. But anyway, let's move. But let's move on. But the one that I'm going to talk about as well, we're very excited. The only other time that, because in recent times that we got through to the fourth, we got through the fourth round. We played Man City. In January 1989, Gary Blissett, when he scored them goals, you know what I'm saying? In the mud. In the mud. It was absolutely raining. And this is what I'm saying to you. Is that this is what the Cup is all about. I remember being so excited about that. The whole of Brentford, everyone was so excited for weeks on end coming down. You know, Man City came down with their inflatable bananas. There was all sorts going on. It was fantastic. I mean, I remember leaving my house in Acton and I went down to the pub and we got into the new inn and... Noel locked us in and we got in there very early and all, oh it was just absolutely fantastic day out and the day and we won the match and then we went to the bar afterwards and I think Steve Perriman was the manager and we were up in the players bar until about 11 o'clock at night and he gave us a lift home and oh it was absolutely teething tremendous as we said and but that was 1989 but there was only three times that we won in the fourth round and one time that we drew in the fourth round the FA Cup other than that we lost to, um, in 1996 to Charlton away the cheese boat to Charlton people remember that one uh, 2003 Burnley at home we lost to them and also we lost to Chelsea away uh, 4-0 I think it was so we lost to them so we've lost those are the three times we lost so those are the four times we lost so this, this is a big 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 opportunity for us to actually kind of move things up to the next level we're playing Barnet Barnet are in the non-league we're not going to take Barnet for granted at all because we saw what they did to Sheffield United. They smashed them off the park. See you later. So Brentford need to be completely and utterly on point. Monday, Savvy B, what are you saying? What are we going to do with this team? Thomas Frank, first of all, he's got to put out a strong side, doesn't he? He does. Uh, I think you can still make a couple of changes. I think you can probably play uh, Luke Daniels, uh, who hasn't let us down this season at all. Uh, I think you can probably put in um, Moses for Dalsgaard and not weaken us at all. Uh, unless we'd need his height at the back. 
uh, depending on how Barnet play. I think Matt probably knows better about how Barnet play. Um, I wouldn't want to do anything else, to be honest. I think we might sort of try McEachern, but I don't really want to. Uh, we might do what we did against Oxford and uh, drop Mopay to the bench. Uh, again, I wouldn't want to. So uh, I think the, the only one I'd be happy with is, is Moses uh, for Dalsgaard and uh, Daniels for Bentley. Because um, I don't think those would weaken us anymore. Anything else might weaken us. Um, yeah, I think we need to go strong. Uh, we So Darren Curry's taken over at Barnet. He, he worked under John Steele for a period of time. I watched... John Steele's teams play um, at Dagenham and Redbridge a couple of years ago. They're direct. They were direct. I know that the guy that was on the um, the Rodcast was it a Rodcast? Or was it a whatever it was on Monday? Um, he suggested that they're playing a bit more football under Darren Curry. I would suggest that if you want to give us a hard game, play less football on um, Monday and um, and uh, you know and, and go back to. To, to some extent for basics I, I, I think with the FA Cup there's two things nowadays there's there's a lot of clubs now try and play football that's great but when you play a, another club that are in a higher league playing football you'll probably come unstuck the, what higher clubs hate is, is, is to play a, a team playing football they don't see every week so Premier League club or a championship club if you get an aerial bombardment, if you look at Lincoln City in the FA Cup, I think it was last year, who were who were quite effective. Um, you know that that's that's the way they played, and, um, and 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 the other element is, of course, is when teams literally switch and play their B team, and um, and then they put their you know they put their reserves in or whatever in the FA Cup, and that and that brings another dynamic, but and and that dynamic is also to be is also for a lower league team can take advantage of that. But um, but I, I yeah I, I kind of think that's our biggest danger on on Monday is if actually Barnet go for it and um, and and sort of go a bit long and um, and force set pieces um, I think I think that's where we could come unstuck I'm not sure we will I kind of feel like we're on a roll at the moment and um, and as long as we play you know I, I, what I wouldn't like us to do on Monday is play. Um, uh, a sort of a, a, a midfield that aren't going to go out there and battle. I, I think Makocha has to play. Um, I think if we went, say, McEachran and Sawyers in midfield, I think we could get a little bit swamped. Um, so I, th- I, I think Makocha has to play. Um, I think we need to kind of stick with, with, with what we're doing at the moment. And um, if we can defend set pieces, um, then, then we'll be okay. The only other thing is they'll probably try a little bit of pace, you know, on the, on the counter attack. So we'd, we'll have to be a little bit wary of that. But I, I think we'll be all right on Monday. And, um, I mean, up front. I mean, obviously we don't want Malpay. But if they think that we want to, we want to protect Malpay. We want to keep him back. Then what are our options? Well, we know what the options are. You can you, you can put force forwards. You can play force. Um, you can play Ollie Watkins up front. You can play Sergi Camos up front. And they're the options we've seen so far. You could go a bit more B team and 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 try another option, but we've not seen that they want to do that yet. Why would they want to do it in the fourth round of the FA Cup? I don't think they will. Um, I I think at push it could be Watkins up front with Mope on the bench, um, but Mope will be involved in some way on Monday, I'm sure. Uh, assuming he's still a Brentford. <laughs> <laughs> Let's not even go there. So, and for me, you know. 
listen, we need to um, we need to play this, as far as I'm concerned. We play the strongest team possible. I've seen us, like I said, too many times play a weak inside inverted commas because they believe that they need to give the team a little bit of a break, and then we lose in the FA Cup, and then the following week we put out a strong side, and then we lose in the league anyway. So I think what's the point? You know, we need to go out there and do what we need to do. We know that we're good enough. In this, you know, we, we, we ain't going to go down in this league and we're going to be struggling to make the playoffs. So let's give it a right good go in the FA Cup. It's going to give everyone a big buzz. It's going to be the players a buzz. It's going to be the fans a buzz. Let's all do it. So I'm keeping my fingers crossed you do it. So listen, my score prediction is I'm saying um, I'd, I'd love. I, I went for the clean sheet at Rotherham. I don't know why I did that, you know what I'm saying? Because, like, you know, clean sheets aren't the one. But I'd like to think we keep a clean sheet against Barnet, even though, you listen, I'm not disrespecting them and they'll put the ball in the middle and all that lot I'm going to go 2-0 to the mighty bees Savvy B I'm going 2-0 as well uh, 3-1 uh, um, Barnet get an early goal and we come back oh interesting so listen this is the Pride of West London podcast apologies special guest wasn't here today but he will be here within the next couple of weeks promise you we'll keep in touch with the side and we'll let you know um, Saturday there's nothing going on we're going to be chilling out Monday We're going to be at the FA Cup and we're going to be absolutely potty for it. Check us out on everything. Social media, podcasting, this, that, the other. I don't know what you say because we're excited about the FA Cup. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.